0: Hey, everybody, this is a major milestone for us today. Welcome to episode 100, Cue the Champagne of Unbeatable. Over the last year and a half, almost two years, there's been some amazing guests. But today, I get a chance to relive a very powerful moment in my life. And a guy that was right next to me when I returned to Mogadishu... I'm super excited to bring you as my guest for episode 100, Jake Hamilton, on this very special episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Before we get into the story with Jake, and you're going to love this guy's story, I want to remind you that this podcast wouldn't be possible unless it was for people like the Solomon Foundation. These folks are helping thousands, 7,000 plus investors, and they're helping people take a little bit of money and grow the church. They help you make an excellent return on your money and make an eternal impact at the same time. I want to say thank you to the Solomon Foundation for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to know more about these folks, go to thesolomonfoundation.org. Now here's my interview with the guy that has a backstage pass to life, Jake Hamilton. Hey, Jake, this is a great privilege to be able to talk to you on this episode of Unbeatable. Thanks for being with me, man.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me
0: today. Hey, we're going to catch up because it's been a long time since we talked. But did you know that you are the 100th episode? If I had sound effects in the background, I'd have a huge studio audience clapping. But man, you're the 100th episode. This is a big milestone for Unbeatable. And I want to thank you for being the the centerpiece guest for episode number 100.
1: Well, honored to be here and congratulations on hitting that milestone. That's incredible.
0: Thanks, man. Uh, we're going to catch up because we haven't talked to each other, I think, if my timing is right, in 10 years, yep. Um, and I want to go back and describe how we met each other, but we'll, we'll say that for later on in this episode, ma'am. Um, just so that people get a chance to know a little bit about you, tell everybody where you're living now and tell them what you do for a living.
1: Yeah, so I live in Austin, Texas, been here for about 15 years now. Um I uh, live here with my wife and two children, a boy and a son and a, and a daughter who we just recently received. And uh, I am a director and a cinematographer. So I work in the film industry and background is a lot of camera work. Recently, I've been directing a lot more. Just felt like it was a great way to continue to challenge myself and what I do.
0: Yeah, for everybody who's listening right now, you definitely want to get Jake's autograph. If you live in Austin and you bump into him in the grocery store, stop him and ask him for his autograph. He's gonna uh, that autograph's gonna be worth some money one of these days. Um, hey did did you grow up out in
1: out west in Wyoming? Is that where you grew up? No, so I actually I grew up in Texas. I grew up in uh, Houston. Um, and I love getting to the mountains. So I try to get to the Rockies as often as I can. Um, but I know that, uh, I'm pretty sure where we you're going with this one in Wyoming and everything. And so I have spent a significant amount of time up there, um, and, uh, excited to visit with you about it.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to get into a documentary that you've done that I absolutely love. I hope everybody checks that out. Um, after we wrap up this episode, we've got a couple, you've got a couple of, uh, documentaries out there that are, one of them's doing really, really well right now. In fact, I saw a guy watching it on an airplane, one row in front of me. And I was like, I'm going to watch that. It looks so, I can't even hear what they're saying, but it looks so good. I'm going to watch Facing Nolan. Yeah. Um, the first chance that I get. So we'll talk about that one in just a few minutes too. Um, so, can we talk a little bit about growing up in Houston? What life was like for you and how did you end up in the entertainment industry? Yeah. Because I you couldn't pay me enough money
1: to do what you're doing for a living. <laughs> it's uh it's it's something you never really know until you get into it. And so when I meet with other young filmmakers who are trying to break into the industry, uh they're like, "How do I do this? Like what steps do I need to take?" And one nobody's path to this is ever the same but i'm like you got to be really committed almost married to it like it's 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 rough kind of being a a contractor a freelancer there's a lot of fun things that we get to do Uh, i always describe it as having like a backstage pass to life like you get to go places meet people do things that you would never get access to but because you have a camera in your hands all of a sudden you're there um but it's a lot of time on the road, and you know sometimes that can be a lonely place to be. Um, thankfully, I work with a lot of great people that almost feel like family to me, um, so that's been great. But growing up in Houston, when I did, um, it was uh, it was a great time. Like it was it was a really fun childhood. I grew up playing sports, and when I finally retired from high school sports. Uh, I somehow stumbled... A- <laughs> he
0: put air quotes yeah. around the word retired from <laughs> high school sports. Yes. I
1: was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. My body's had enough. Um, I stumbled upon uh, editing in multimedia class at my high in school.
0: In high school? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was kind of cool. a brand wow. new thing. You know, being able to edit on a computer. Before that, you're having to like cut film and run thing. I mean, oh, yeah. I-, I never yeah. experienced that. Um, but all of a sudden, it became pretty cool it's like oh like we can film all these like random you know videos of us screwing around at high school and and uh sports was something where we had i could put together um highlight reels of like football and and whatnot of some of my friends and so it kind of grew this passion of like telling stories and from there uh i had already been accepted to go uh to to Texas A&M University and College Station. And I was going to be studying engineering. And I was like, well, there's this film thing that I'm really interested in. And I was like, it's really challenging to get into the engineering school at A&M. And I was like, I should probably stick with this. Um, But maybe I can find some ways to uh, scratch that film itch. And so I ended up working with the athletic department at Texas A&M and would travel with their teams. Oh,
0: that's awesome. And it was man. a dream job yeah, as a heck, yeah.
1: college student, you know, to be able to like hop on the bus with the athletes and we're going to games and I'm filming football on the field and going to baseball and basketball and whatnot. And that was really fun. And that really wet my appetite to keep pressing on. And uh, eventually I find my way to Austin and there's two other filmmakers from A&M that were around my age that had relocated to Austin as well. And we decided to kind of go into all this stuff together. And uh, it's one of those things, you know, as, as the, uh, the tide rises, so do all the ships Um, and we kind of all have grown and in our own ways and still are all friends and get to work together occasionally and support each other. So it's been a really fun community uh, and story just getting to hear. I've been doing this for almost, I guess, about yeah, twenty years now. I'm getting ready to go to my 20 year high school. Man, room. look at you! <laughs> you're
0: yeah, you're a, you're an old timer. Yeah. I can see some gray in your oh, beard. There's man. a you lot. Got a few yeah. miles I just, underneath you. Just shaved yeah. it
1: in this mustache to their eggs. I was like, well, why not? And so there was a lot more gray yeah. right in here.
0: <laughs> I love your analogy. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it this way. If you put a camera in your hands, you kind of get a backstage pass to life. It's fascinating how many people will just kind of throw open their life, not throw open doors necessarily, but throw open their life to somebody who who tells a story with the film well. Let's be honest, lots of people can tell stories with film and not do it well, you know that. But when you can tell a story well, it's amazing mm-hmm. how many people will open up and share life with, with you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and you and I both know, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Jake, but I spent a few years in Austin. I absolutely loved Austin. I lived just a fl- few blocks from downtown and from Sixth Street, and the entertainment industry in Austin is really amazing. Um, the people that live there know about it, but much of the rest of the world just doesn't understand how incredibly talented some of the people in Austin are, not just technology, which is everywhere in Austin, mm-hmm. but musicians, uh, you know, television shows. Austin City Limits was highlighting that has been highlighting that for years. Some of the artistic uh, community that lives in Austin, Texas. Yeah. What years
1: were you in in Austin?
0: Oh man, uh, you want me to go way back in time? Obvious. I went to high school at Tra- in Travis at Travis High School in Austin, Texas, okay. and I lived just a couple of blocks from so there. So you like grew up um, here and worked heck yeah well just for a couple of years yeah but i worked at a whataburger restaurant on Altorf <laughs> avenue and lived it uh, just just down the road from travis high school amazing
1: oh I, I whataburger was like my go-to i'd get two number twos with cheese after every football game growing up in houston so whataburger was yeah. A staple
0: yeah <laughs> Uh, where I live, there are no Waterburger restaurants. So when I'm traveling and the family's with me, they all roll their eyes because they're like, "Oh, here he goes. Dad just found a Waterburger. We're <laughs> yeah, going yeah. to the drive-through, <laughs> even if we don't need anything, because yeah. he's going to go back and relive yeah. being a teenager in Austin." You have to. Yeah. Uh, hey, anybody who's listening is saying, "Well, Jake just had like the perfect childhood," but you and I both know that's far from the truth. Mm-hmm. So life threw you a curveball that you weren't expecting and that you now, many years later, are still affected by. Um, Let's talk about what happened to your mother when you were a teenager.
1: Yeah, when I was 13, um, I lost my mom to cancer. And it was something, As I think as a child, you never, you can't even fathom life without a parent. Like it's not even doesn't even compute that that's even a possibility and so i knew my mom was sick i knew she had cancer it's something that she had battled with for about three years before it finally took her life um and so yeah i mean growing up i was the oldest of three and uh all of a sudden we became a single parent household um and i was 13 my sister would have been 10 my brother was around six and so it's It's wild to think about. And what's even crazier now is I am just a year away from being my mother's age when she passed away.
0: When she passed.
1: Wow. And I feel like I'm just getting started. And it's like crazy to think about when you put that in perspective. Um and uh I mean she was I mean, just most incredible mom you know and I, I was just getting to know her beyond a mom you know like I was yeah, like oh you're sure. a person you yeah. have friends you know you yeah. do things right uh, you don't just take care of us um and uh, it's tough like I mean obviously it's tough losing a parent and we miss her dearly um, and it's one of those things like I've obviously had plenty of time to think about this uh, over the years you know I'm I am who I am today by what has shaped me, you know, everything that's happened in my past has shaped sure. me who I am today and put me on yeah. the trajectory where I am. And God has a plan. I've always known that I don't always understand his plan and that's okay. Right. that's one of those things I think it's called faith where you just have to let things be and just hope for the best um, and trust that it's all going to work out in the end. But, you know, it's one of those things I always say, like what I, I would love for my for us to still have our mom. Like that's one of those things like, you know, I wouldn't would love for her to be here and to have all those experiences and memories. But I also like, I wouldn't change anything about where I'm at today in my life. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those really hard lessons, you know, that we all deal with, you know, we all lose a parent at some point in time, but, uh, getting, having to do that at such an early age, uh, really shaped me, uh, a lot. Um, I don't think many 13 year olds think about death too often, but it's something where like right. it, you know, comes up, you know, probably on a daily basis for a long time where you think about it and it gives you appreciation um, wow. for yeah. life and the decisions that you're making, how you want to live. And, and, you know, and still to this day, you know, my mom is making a, an impact, you know, on me, when I think about her and reflect on her life and the, the short time that she was here, but, You know, I like to think that, you know, she lived a full life so full that God was like, you've accomplished everything that you needed to do and, you know, come home. And that's, that's kind of how I've been able to make peace about it. But yeah.
0: Jake, there's uh, a lot of people that have gone through loss, but not a lot of them can say what you just said, that although it's painful and every day you felt the effects of it for a long time that you wouldn't change anything. And that is something that very, I mean, let's just be honest, man, you really are unbeatable for a number of reasons, but to look at the loss of a mother that way is, is quite uh, rare to be honest. Um, Your mom was sick for a couple of years uh, before, Before she passed, she had the diagnosis of cancer for three years or she had been sick and then you guys found out that she had cancer during that three-year period. When did this actually start for you?
1: Yeah, it was a diagnosis. And so um, it was around 1994. I remember coming home. I think I was in fourth grade. Um, And I remember coming home um, and I could see that she was upset and she told me what was happening. And I don't think the the gravity of that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense she didn't look any different to me but it was something you know that they had Uh discovered and i forget exactly what was happening and why they went you know to go to the doctor and and see what was happening um and at one point in time it seemed like everything had cleared up but then it came back um even more aggressive the second time and it's uh I think, you know, growing up in Houston, it's a great place to be to treat cancer um, because of the cancer center there at MD Anderson. It's one of the best in the world. Uh Um, And I've always been told uh, at that time, and this is, you know, from, you know, family probably sharing this with me that I think this was like the only like one of three cases that had ever been recorded of this type of uh, uh, cancer that she had. So it was super rare, very aggressive, and they weren't entirely sure how to treat it and it might be different today um with the advances that we've had but at that time yeah it was it was pretty bad um and so yeah and it was something with chemo and all the treatment and whatnot and it takes like you do you know she at one you know oh, man. certain times she she was still mom and looked exactly the same you know and still lived her life but then there was a time where you really started to see like her diminish, yeah. um, you know, in a physical right. standpoint. But I mean, she still still, is our mom and still, you know, loved and, and enjoyed us and, you know, did all the things that a mom can do. Um, and, right. uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's another one of those things. Like, I know we're, we've been talking about my mom a lot um, for obvious reasons, but a lot of times you don't think about the, the other spouse um, and the toll that it takes on. Uh, like my father, I was going
0: to, I was going to ask you about your dad. How did he, how did he handle it? It
1: was, it was, it was a rough time for a little while and I understand why, you know? Um, but for him to have the strength to, you know, he, he basically took a year off from work almost like his work was super flexible and understanding and supportive of that where he was my mom's primary caregiver, um, which I think is rare. I don't even know if that would happen today.
0: Um, Yeah. Back in, especially back in the mid or early mm nineties, man, that's very rare. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and so he, uh, he took care of her, he took care of us, um, the amount of strength and endurance that he had to perform to make that happen. Um, and then after she passed away to still, you know, work, raise three kids, get us out the door every day to school, Somehow, yeah. somehow, coach right. all of our sporting events. I still have no idea what? how he did that. What uh, he wasn't always wow. head coach, but he was there and he was present. And I mean, that's man. It's one of those things. Like, I mean, had a super mom, but a super dad. You know, who yeah, didn't give did. up and kept you know pushing through. And so, yeah, I mean, and it's weird. the The years after my mom passed away. I look back at very fondly, which is very strange, like very weird. Yeah, like it, I look back and, and a lot of it's just the community that we lived in, where we were, uh-huh. um, the families who were our friends, like everybody rallied behind us. And I had an amazing group of friends who are still my best friends today. Like we do a trip every year. Um, where we go, you know, to a random, like last year, we went to a Buffalo game in New York in the middle of December, got snowed on. But like that was the trip that we planned
0: <laughs> to go awesome. do.
1: And we're creating memories. We all have families now. And, you know, we're still doing life together, even though we're kind of scattered throughout. But, you know, getting to have a community like we had um, and the people that took care of us, we had meals for like, it felt like at least a year, <laughs> like people were still. Helping us out with meals and, um, grandparents who were involved, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather were like second parents to me. You know, grandmother was there every Uh day when we got home from school. Grandfather taught me how to drive, you know, taught me how to tie a tie. Like he was present. And so it's like, all right, family and community is just so much, you know, and I'm really thankful that we had, you know, Everybody come together to help us. It's just unbelievable Um, and truly grateful for that. So it's one of those things I'll sing everybody's praises for forever, you know, for rallying behind our family during that really challenging time.
0: We're going to talk about this part of it in a little bit, Jake, but losing a parent, there's no good age. Yeah. 13 is about the worst age you can possibly choose because that's when you're starting to figure life out. Mm -hmm. You need mom's opinion. You need dad around but now you're a husband you're a dad and every day that you go through one of those big milestones getting married having children mom's not around to experience it so it's almost like losing her again and again and again when she's not around for those really big moments in your life where you would want mom around um and man you really do have an incredible outlook on it yeah thank you i want to turn the corner now yeah let's talk about the entertainment industry um just real briefly, would you describe for people some of the big projects that you're working on and then hold off on describing the project that you and I worked on together, Got but it. kind of describe <laughs> some of the big big events, uh, big projects that you've worked on that they can go out and find right now. Some of them award-winning projects.
1: Yeah, so the most recent thing uh, would be Facing Nolan, which you talked about. It's a documentary about Nolan Ryan. Uh, Arguably- I just want to break in. uh, One of
0: my favorite baseball (laughs) players of all time. All of the baseball players in all history, Nolan Ryan is one of my favorite.
1: I mean, arguably one of the greatest pitchers of all time, depending on how you define, you know, who he is and what he did and how he all everything he accomplished. But yeah, I mean, growing up in Houston, myself, uh, and being somebody from Texas that played baseball, that was a dream job to sure. get to work on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, facing Nolan, um, kind of working backwards, there's a documentary called Jump Shot, and that is about the man who created what we know is the modern day jump shot in basketball, um, super humble man that I got to spend some time with him uh, near the end of his life. And it was an absolutely fascinating story to get to work on. That was a passion project that just ballooned into like a full blown, uh, feature documentary that ended up being executive produced by Steph Curry, uh, with the Warriors. If you're a basketball fan, you probably know that name. Um, and another one that I'm really proud of that we got. Hold to off. On. Hold oh, yeah, on. Yeah, go Let's it. talk
0: about jump shot okay. for just a second. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of the game of basketball. I don't know really anything about basketball. I started watching two minutes of jump shot and you had me hooked. And I was like, this guy, Kenny sailors is amazing. How hmm. come nobody in the world knows his name? You told his story well not only what he did for the game of basketball by bringing in some of the basketball greats to describe how he fundamentally changed the game. But man, what you did such a great job of in jump shot is talk about the man Mm. and the, the impact that he left on people, especially for more than 20 years of his life where nobody even knew who this guy was, nor what he did, you know, for the game of basketball. Man, you tell a story really, really well. And you made me a guy who doesn't really know the first thing or even care about the game of basketball. You had me hooked at two minutes in and I couldn't stop watching, which tells your skills behind the camera, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, why it, Kenny Sailors? Why jump shot? Yeah. Like, What was it about this guy that got you hooked? Yeah. You hooked me, man.
1: I will say it always it always starts with a great character, and so having a knack for like is this person going to be able to entertain people for this long? You know, is this story really going to engage? And I wasn't sure about that at first. Um, I orig- what originally attracted me to the story was the fact that somebody invented the jump shot i was like wait hasn't that always been a part of the game like how did how did they shoot a ball people and,
0: always shot the basketball with both feet on yep, the ground until yep. this crazy guy by the name of kenny Sailors <laughs> decided to jump and shoot
1: yeah it was a it was a grounded game and it was a two-handed set shot um, and so I was like, you know what? This is uh, at that point in time, I was looking, I was a cinematographer. I was always behind the camera, but I was looking for an opportunity to get, uh, even more deeply rooted into a story as a director. And so I was looking for short film ideas and came across this story of a guy who created the jump shot in basketball. And so I was like, well, I could make a really short film. Um, that kind of touch and goes on the basics of this and, you know, use that as a stepping stone to get to something else. But as I started to dive deeper into Kenny's life and his story, I was like, there is something bigger here that needs to be shared. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, definitely can't go into all of it now because it took, it, we could barely squeeze it in a 90 minute film. Um, but right. I think what ultimately kind of drove that story and what I kind of always used as a vehicle to get, um, through the documentary was, you know he defined the game of basketball, but the game never defined who he was. right. Um, and so like everybody might know him as the basketball guy, but there were so many other things um, that he looked at that had value in his life beyond that. Ba- basketball was just this tool that he had to connect with people. Um, and so yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely one that's you don't have to be a basketball fan. You have to know anything about basketball. Um, it's a character driven documentary and, uh, you'll have a lot of fun because we, it it goes way beyond just basketball.
0: I am living proof of what Jake just (laughs) said about his skills behind the camera. And as a director, you don't even need to know the game to get hooked into this documentary. Um, go through some of your other projects.
1: Um, I, I guess, uh, one of the more visible ones recently that I've been doing is I've been doing some TV work uh with a a couple that's based in Waco, Texas, um that do a Uh, lot of almost everybody (laughs) on the planet know who knows who
0: Joe uh Joanna and Chip Gaines are. Yeah. So
1: I've been uh I've been working with them a lot over the past couple years. Um and uh she has a cooking show and so I've shot seven seasons of that cooking show for her, which has been really fun because she's a great cook. Uh, and we get to usually eat a lot of the food that she makes. And so that's been a a dream job to get to work on. Nice.
0: She shares the food with the crew. That's awesome. (laughs) So, Hey, people are dying to know this. Are they really as awesome on the other side of the camera as they appear? They
1: are. They are as genuine as they appear. And Chip is just as wild and crazy as he is. You see on camera (laughs) and she is super sweet. Uh, and kind and yeah. generous as you see on TV as well. So yeah, they're they're the real deal and they're doing amazing things and honored to be a part of the process. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, there's another documentary that uh, I think is incredible that people should check out. And I don't know where exactly it is right now, but it's called Delt. Um, and it is about a card mechanic. So a card magician, somebody who will, you know. Really? Yeah. And what's crazy about his story is like, um, he can manipulate a deck of cards to do whatever he wants. So you never want to sit down and play a game of poker with him.
0: And <laughs> do not play yeah, cards against this guy. Yes. yes,
1: but the thing that is wild about his story is he is blind. He cannot see a thing.
0: No way. I am one hundred percent. Blowing my mind I, right now. Yeah, it's
1: we've all questioned it. I, and
0: these are standard decks of cards with no kind of yep. braille or anything on. He them.
1: will play with somebody else's That's deck of cards.
0: Insane. Like
1: he'll, you can. People have I've seen everybody test them every which way possible, and it's an amazing story because of, obviously because of what he can do, um, but also his mindset for you know the 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 life that he's been dealt as well. You know, growing up and losing his sight at an early age, but still making the best of it and being the best in the world at what he does and so it's a super inspiring story that i think people should check out too
0: okay i can binge watch documentaries tell ask my wife and daughter they'll yeah. tell you i can watch documentaries for endless hours and i am sitting there running through every possible scenario in my mind of how can somebody who's totally blind tell the difference between an ace of spades and a two of clubs in a deck of cards like there's no way in my mind that i can figure this out i don't nothing know nothing makes this make sense yeah, yeah i don't know i don't it's, know <laughs> all right i just added another documentary yeah. to my watch list i gotta see this thing is it already out is delta out there? yeah and it's I, can yeah you check it, it, it
1: premiered back in 20 uh maybe 2015 i think at south by southwest film festival here in austin and so yeah. um it used to be on delta at one point in time so delta on delta i remember but uh yeah it delta might be on uh, <laughs> delta i love it um, it might be on, it's, I'm, I think it's streaming somewhere, maybe Hulu or something like that, but every, each okay. one of these films are available on iTunes. If you want to look them up on iTunes too, they're available for it, but it might be streaming yeah. someplace. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And by the way, for people that are listening around the world, if you want to know more about these, we're going to tell you more about Jake, about some of his documentaries, some of them that are just blowing up right now, like Face and Nolan, but let's talk about the time that you and I got a chance to work together. So I'm going to go back in time a little bit for almost 10. This is more than 10 years ago now. Um, and I should say my wife is probably going to listen to this episode. And to this day, she is still not happy with what you and I did together. Um, she's she's very happy with the finished product, but she's not happy with her husband. Let me put it that way. Um So I have a friend named Kenny Thomas, who was episode one, by the way, everybody, of Unbeatable. That's how much I love, how much I look up to Kenny. And Kenny called me and said, Jeff, what do you think about going back to Somalia together? Now, I had already been working with uh, a producer by the name of Mary Beth Menace, who had said, Jeff, let's take your story that's on paper and let's figure out a way to get it on film We'll go to Hollywood, we'll rent a set, we'll build everything up to make it look like a studio. And as we were months into this, my friend, Kenny says, Jeff, I want to go back to Mogadishu and I want you to go with me. That's the backstop for you get invited to take part in a documentary. But here's the catch. You have to go to the literally the most dangerous city on earth if you're going to go do this. Tell me about the moment that you get the call to get involved with Return to Mogadishu (laughs) with me and Kimmy.
1: Yes, Uh, this is one of those stories that I still share frequently today because um, people always ask like what are some of people
0: the- ask you are you insane yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking why would you do yeah. this jay yeah they
1: they ask what are some of the where are some of the craziest places you've ever been like what tell me something i'm like well first out of the gate mogadishu and everybody's jaw just drops um yeah i got a so yes i got a call to be involved with this and i think when we were talking we weren't sure we we were I w- we were not aware you were talking with Kenny um, and that it was even a possibility that we would be going there. And so we were trying to think creatively, how can we tell this story but not be there? Because I feel like boots on the ground, like that is going to have such a different dynamic element to the yeah. story and make it that much more powerful to see you reliving, you and Kenny reliving these moments. And so I remember I you know, tossing out the idea one day. I was like, well, I mean, like, can we go? Like, is that even a possibility? It seems like that would be better for the story. Do I want to go? Not really, but I feel like for the story's sake, we should do it. And of course, I'm in my early mid 20s, you know, mid 20s. I don't have a family, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, let, you know, whatever, you know, let's, let's just go over go. there and yeah, get shot at. Yeah, what the maybe, heck? Yeah, why not? And um, I think it was literally the next day, it was like, I got a call from Mary Beth, and she's like, I think we're going to Somalia. And I'm like, wait, what? Like that, we're actually doing this? This is happening? Um, and then the next thing, you know, we're talking about all the logistics behind it, but I remember the next thing, the next thing I remember is I was being told that I needed to figure out what my blood type was. And I'm like, well, this is a first, you know, to go on a film production. Yeah. And like, they're like, you need Stuff to figure out. I just got real. <laughs> yeah. if I have to tell you my yeah, blood type. Yeah, so I had to go. I had to go donate blood. Cause I was like, I don't know what my blood type is. Um, it's so, uh, like I remember, I remember all this, like it was yesterday. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, here we are, we're, we're going to Somalia. We're not supposed to share this on any plat, like social media platforms That's for right. security yep. issues. Uh, I remember telling my, my, my dad, uh, and, probably similar to how your wife responded. He was like, no, you're not. You're not going over there. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> look, things are, he's like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, he thought I was crazy. And maybe yeah. I, maybe I was a little bit, but you know, I he was sweating it the entire time we were over there. Oh uh, man. And so, yeah, that's well, what I remember. Let me tell you. Yeah.
0: Well, let me tell you how this timing worked out. And honestly, the way the timing worked out, I could not deny that obviously God wants us to go to Somalia. So I've been talking with you guys for weeks, maybe even months at this point Mm -hmm. about filming the story, my story and doing it on a set. You guys are working hard behind the scenes. There's already some plans in place. And then I get a phone call. I remember I'm driving and I pull over into a parking lot of a fast food restaurant and I get a phone call from Kenny and he's really, really serious. And when Kenny calls, I have a couple of buddies that when they call, I will drop anything and do whatever they ask. And Kenny was really, really hurting. He was really serious. And he said, Jeff, I need to go. And Jeff, I want you to go with me. And I said, Kenny, two things. Are you aware that Mogadishu is literally, I just left the military. I still have some access to the classified intelligence that we have out there. It is the most dangerous place on earth. And if you and I were to go there, we're going to get shot. You have a guitar. I carry a Bible. I don't know how that's going to work out for two people like us today. And secondly, if you and I go over there together, um, there's no guarantee that we're coming back. And are you aware, Kenny, that there's been some discussion? He said, I didn't even know. I had no idea. All I know is I need to go and I need you to go with me. That's literally how the phone call went. And in 15 minutes, I said, okay. I'm calling my wife and I'm calling Mary Beth and I'm telling them, I need to go to Somalia. Why don't we just change locations instead of building a studio? Why don't we just go back to the exact same city streets? And man, I have the absolute, one of the reasons you're on this episode, Jake, is because of the mad respect I have for you for being willing to do this insane project with me and to go to Somalia. There was 15 minutes worth of thought put into this, and I just decided if Kenny needs to go, then I'm going.
1: Yeah, yeah, and grateful that we're both here to be able to talk about it today. <laughs> um, there were a lot of cur- there were a lot of curveballs. I remember, you know. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, can can you describe just what it took to actually land in the on the airfield? the very airfield that we stayed in in Mogadishu and make it into the city streets because, uh, in get through immigration and into Mogadishu. Cause that itself was a disaster. Well, not a disaster, <laughs> but that itself was hard enough that right. would have caused most people to say, this is insane. Don't yeah.
1: Do it. Yeah. I don't know <clears throat> what all was shared with or communicated with whatever government was set up with Somalia at the time. And we got there, but I'll
0: tell you right now, nothing. nothing, They heard nothing from our end. Yeah. On purpose. Probably.
1: Yeah. Intentional and for the best. But I remember, uh, our director, Matt was filming you like getting off of the plane and that caused some red flags. And I was kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit more reserved. Like I'm just full. I'm very aware of my surroundings he a lot is, of times by the way
0: everybody very aware so jake had everything under control or at least he was he was a process in everything as we did this whole project
1: yeah and i was kind of like you know i don't maybe we shouldn't be filming right now but obviously like for yeah, story maybe we shouldn't
0: have cameras rolling while you're walking down the stairs getting off yes, the airplane
1: but yeah so that happened um and i guess word quickly got to the somali government or whoever was running it at the time and they were not happy that we were there. And we were told right. if we were to leave the airport that we would be arrested. Um, So distinctly remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, But we're like, we're in Somalia. So it's like, we've, you know, we're in Mogadishu. Like we've got to get to where this story took place. And I don't know what strings were pulled to like make this happen. Um, But we, and you know, Stop me if I can't share any of these details, but we we broke the rules. (laughs) No, go for it, man. Um, Yeah. Somehow we we acquired uh, two armored vehicles that we were Um, able to get into and actually like navigate the streets of Mogadishu and re like relive some of these routes that you did. uh, What would have been 20 years prior?
0: 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah.
1: 30 years ago now. But twenty years ago at yeah. the time, which is crazy to think about. Um and right. so here we are, you know, driving in these armored vehicles and you you're in one vehicle, I'm with you, and Kenny's in the other vehicle, and you guys are on walkie and we're talking, we're having the uh-huh. conversations and I just remember at one point in time Kenny was like, Hey, or you you said, Hey, Kenny, you realize we're in the Bacara market right now And he's like, Yeah, acutely, I'm very aware. Um and I wanna <laughs> say like yeah. It was maybe the week prior to us leaving, there was uh, a bombing there. Um, and Yeah. uh, yeah.
0: And so, yeah. So I'll give everybody this part of the details. One week before we showed up on the ground, we start to do all the plans and put pieces into place. The Somali government tries to get reestablished, but there is a stronghold of Al-Shabaab terrorism over there. And one week before we showed up, Al-Shabaab bombed the entire Somali Supreme Court and killed them all in a massive bombing attack right before we got there, which is basically the only attempt the government has had to try to establish some real you know, laws and real government in years. And as soon as they do it, immediately they're blown up. And this is still front page news. Um, there's a a security company that was working on the airfield that, that were... Commercial flights landed called SKA, and I got the greatest respect for these folks. Mm. So we let SKA know hey, two former Task Force Ranger guys from the movie Black Hawk Down are coming to Somalia, but don't tell anybody. And If you remember, Jake, we're sitting in this room with about a half a dozen Somalis who want to get in our bags, are looking at our passports, are saying, we're not letting you in the country. In fact, if you try to take a step forward, we're going to arrest you. You're going to wait in this room and the next airplane that shows up, we're going to put you on that airplane and you're flying out of the country. And an SKA guy shows up behind the scenes and he starts, uh, basically maneuvering on our behalf. Let's just put it that way. And pretty soon we get a wink and a nod and it's a grab your bags and go around the corner real quick. Um, (laughs) You don't need to tell anybody what's happening. And there's two vehicles waiting for us to speed us away from the immigration office and get us into this super secret SKA compound where we start planning this trip into the city streets. That's what was happening behind the scenes, but we wouldn't have even made it uh, into the city if it wasn't for SKA. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I remember Um, it it was one of the large, like I guess the person who was in charge of SKA and uh, our, you know, our detail that we had was one of the largest men I've ever seen. Like just huge
0: giant, Fijian and his who was name was giant like Dwayne Johnson yes, giant yes. of a
1: man. And his name was Tiny. <laughs> is what yes. everyone called him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it- so
0: um little background. Uh we get into the SKA compound behind closed doors, and we start talking. And this is where you really shine, Jake. Um, you and Matt both. I was like, look at these two guys. I've been in war zones. I've been in Iraq and Afghanistan many times by this point, and I kind of know what to expect. But you guys have never stepped foot into a place like this, and everything is basically against us. And Tiny starts to plan a little route for us to go travel back through the city streets. But Tiny says... I can just tell you in the last two or three days about the rocket attacks, about the mortar attacks, about the hand grenade attacks, about the armed men that have attacked this part of the city, this part of the city, this part of the city. So like you described, we're going to go out there on two armored SUVs, but we're going to have the Somali army in front of us and behind us. And we cannot go into the part of town that you did the big fight in Black Hawk Down in Because the Somali army won't go in there. Nobody, literally nobody will go in there. We don't go there. Somali army doesn't go there. Nobody goes in there. And Kenny, after we started planning this, Kenny Thomas pulled me out to the side. He's like, hey, Jeff, let's just take over this convoy while we're in the middle of the route. And let's go in there. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? And sure enough, we get in the two armored vehicles and we start driving. And that's when I said, hey, Kenny, you know we're in this part. We're close to this part of town. And he's like, yeah, I know. So I grabbed the driver and I was like, hey, make a right turn right here. And the driver's like, huh? Wait a second. Right turn. We're not supposed to make a right turn. We're supposed to go straight. And when we turned right, I don't know if you remember this, the Somali army in front of us and behind us looked at us and they said, you're crazy. And they peeled off and they just let (laughs) us go by ourselves.
1: No, I didn't know this. I'm looking through a camera the whole time. so I'm just looking at you. I'm not looking at what's happening around. Yeah, that's wild. Just for the people
0: that watch this documentary, you and Matt captured this to perfection. When we turn the right corner, the entire attitude of the city changed because now you've got these two armored, very expensive SUVs in a part of town that nobody goes into. And you could feel the tension in the air, not just in the vehicles, but you could feel the tension everywhere. Because everybody was looking like, "Uh uh-oh, something bad is going to happen when I asked Kenny, okay, you asked for it. We're in the Bacara Market part of town. Uh, This is what you want. Are you aware of that? And his answer was perfect. Oh, yeah. I'm acutely aware of it. I think everybody (laughs) is acutely aware of where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about getting that shot. Because at this point, man, you are, uh, I don't want to. I'm not exaggerating when I use this language. You are putting your life on the line to get that shot with us. So tell me about that shot, will you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you can only, can only control so much. You know, I guess could have controlled whether or not I wanted to get in the vehicle or not. But I kind of looked at it as like, well, this is probably as protected as we're going to be with anything over here. Um, and I think you put a lot of trust in who you're with. And in God, and um, you just take a, a step of faith to get in the vehicle. And, you know, it's one of those things uh, still are smart, as as smart as you can be, you know, it's like, well, obviously, we shouldn't get out of our vehicle. So let's stay in. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think that like, it is what makes that film because we weren't really we did not, we were not allowed out beyond this this was our one opportunity our one chance
0: yeah that's right you get you get one shot at this better you better make sure your cameras are rolling yeah
1: to actually be in mogadishu and that's what this whole project this whole story you know retelling your story is about and so i knew it's something that we needed to do for this to really count um you know and so it's uh yeah like i said it's one of those where it's still you know it's it's a story that is still shared today 10 years later where you know i'm saying this is this is one of the craziest things i got to do um but getting to see you know i think there's something so authentic about documentary filmmaking that people are attracted to and there are there are different types of documentaries nowadays 10 years ago documentary is a very different space like there's only one streaming platform at that time, 10 years ago, and it was brand new and documentaries right. were not as accessible. And today there are a lot of documentaries that, you know, there's a lot of recreations and it's very like highly visualized storytelling. It's not really a documentary. It's a very cinematic way of storytelling, but like there are those documentaries that are capturing these raw moments and you're like living You're the camera is right there as if you're an audience member. And in this case, as if the audience is riding along in this vehicle with you through the car market. And I yeah. think you sense that um, it, because you're like, you're really there. I think, you know, I don't, I don't know what all is going through your mind, but I'm sure you're like, why did I decide to do this? Why, why are we here? <laughs> um, and there's maybe some hesitation, a little bit of fear, but also like there's so many things probably flooding back into your mind into your memory uh about your experience there and so you know i i think for for the, the sake of the story you know to actually be there and get that authentic response you know of you and kenny and what was happening and unfolding on you know on screen is 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 a huge part of why i think that film has been something that has been it's we're still talking about it today I want
0: to compliment you, man. I didn't think that you could capture the emotion and the tension in on film that you and Matt captured in that scene. Um, honestly, I look back over that scene and I'm like, "This is cinema. This, this is cinematic genius. Is really what it is." Um, Kenny went in on the fight in helicopters. He went on foot late in the night to the crash site, and then he ran out of the city streets on feet on foot, but he never really got a chance to see the ground that he was fighting on his entire life. I knew it because I drove through it, and I drove through it multiple times. So when we turned that corner and I asked Kenny, Kenny, are you aware we're in the Bakara market? It was me just asking him, are you aware this is the same ground that we fought on? But really what I wanted him to understand is we just did what everybody, even the professional army said, don't do this because you're taking your life in your hands. Kenny, we just did the one thing that you said, I need to come back over to Somalia to do. Are you aware of it? Mm -hmm. And what you guys captured in this scene is the tension and the anxiety and even a bit of the fear in those vehicles, I didn't know you could capture that kind of emotion the way that you and Matt captured it. And man, I am so impressed yeah. with how that thing turned out.
1: Yeah, it, I, I am too. It's something that I'm I'm incredibly proud of and honored to be a part of. I mean, for you to open up your personal journey um, through—I mean—to revisit such a significant moment in your life, you know—that's yeah. that's one of those things. Like I, I don't have much if anything, to really comprehend, you know, what you and Kenny and everyone else went through there, but to have the bravery to go back, the courage to go back and to face those challenges head on, um, was something that was, I I would say y'all's leadership, you know, and I think gave me the courage to go and man, you know, to, to go do this, to be a part of it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we're, it's one of those things. I will forever tell this story. It was an incredible experience. Not one that I need to relive, I don't think. Um, yeah, to go of course. Back, Check that block. Yeah, don't need to do yeah, it a second time. Yeah, yep. I'm pretty sure my wife now would say, you are not going um, if, yeah, if it were right. to happen today. Um, and uh, But yeah, it's it's one of those that I always look back on fondly, even though it was, like you mentioned earlier, the most dangerous place in the world. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild and going back coming kind of full circle you know having a camera hand gives you that that you know backstage pass to life like i mean why would i you know a 20 something year old you know kid at the time be in somalia for any reason whatsoever and here i am getting to tell this incredible story and and how uh yeah so it's it's one of those things that's it's just wild so, yeah, honored and, and feel privileged to get to be a part of the story.
0: I don't think I've ever had a chance to thank you, but I owe you a favor. I owe you a thanks because to this day, there's never been a moment, not even when the movie Black, uh, Black Hawk Down was premiering, there's never been a moment where I actually really relived some of the emotions until I was driving back out of the city streets with you. And I remember thinking to myself, this is exactly. What I felt like in that vehicle with you, that I felt like in my vehicle with my Humvees the next morning. I was just overwhelmed with the why God did you Mm. preserve my life? Why am I still alive? I don't understand why I survived and all of those guys around me didn't. And you gave me a chance to relive a moment. It's only happened once. It was Mm. in that vehicle with you, and it was right as we were entering back into the SKA compound at the airfield that I relived that moment. And man, I wanna say thank you.
1: Yeah,
0: I've got mad respect for you behind the camera. But with the last few minutes that we have together, I've got mad respect for you as a father. You, You get asked to do something that's really hard to do. And I think every listener could learn from this part of your life. Sometimes when you're working a project, you're gone away from your family for days or weeks. And you've got young children and you've got a wife that loves you. And every time I'm speaking and I do a and a session, a question comes up every single time that I'm speaking. And people want to know, how do you have a strong family life and spend all of the time away that I do? You have learned how to do that, Jake. Would you talk to the audience a little bit? Because I don't know. I can't imagine anyone is listening to this and not wondering. How do you balance work and, and family? How do you do both yeah. and do them both well?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And I can't say I've figured it out, but we're constantly uh, engaging in conversations of how we can continue to improve what we have. Um, yeah, I, I chose a career that um, is not the easiest one. There's lots of ups and downs It's hard to plan anything ahead because I'll get a phone call and the next day or the next week, I have to cancel everything that we had scheduled and I'm out of town. Because I'm on an
0: airplane going to Mogadishu. Yeah,
1: there you go. (laughs) Uh, So I'm a a contract uh, freelance filmmaker. And so I have to take the calls when they come because that's how I earn my income. That's how I earn my, my living. Um And so, you know, I always knew this was going to be a challenge as I was looking ahead at one day being married, one day being a father. um And thankfully, I have an amazing father to look up to and, yeah, and see how he was definitely. involved with my life. Um, I mentioned earlier, he somehow... You know, had dinner and, you know, breakfast ready and got us out the door and, you know, coached us in all of our sporting events. And I was like, I want to be that dad. Like, I want to be present. I want to be a part of my kids' lives. Um, You know, I don't want to miss out on those moments and those opportunities. But yet, I do have to travel quite a bit. And so, yeah, sometimes, ideally, it's just a few days where I'm gone. Sometimes it is a little bit longer. And if it is anything more than you know, 10 days, uh, that's a, a whole other conversation of, is this like the right steps for me and my career? Is this going to open up a lot of opportunities? Is this a great financial opportunity? Um, is this the best thing for our family? And if so, how do we navigate those 10 days when my wife is at home by herself with two kids? Right. We have a two and a half year old and a four month old right now. So we're like in the trenches. Oh like, <laughs> man! So
0: that means you're running low on sleep when you're
1: at home. Yeah, for a, the as most well. Part. Yeah, yeah, we sleep very well, but maybe not long enough sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 a tough balance. And I mean, thankfully, I have a wife who is incredibly patient. She's still the sweetest person I know, um, and that uh, allows me to continue to have this type of career. And I think what is how we have found some healthy balance is we're always in conversation about how can we continue to move forward, where you're doing what you still do, but maybe it's not as right. much travel or maybe you're maybe I'm just looking for specific types of jobs that, you know, check these boxes off for us and not taking these other ones. And so I have to be a lot more, you know, uh, a little bit more picky about what I take on, but also, Uh, One of the goals that I have, and I think I know it probably is a huge relief for my wife is that, you know, I might be gone for like a week, but then I'm home for a week and I make it a goal for myself to be fully present. At home when I am home, yeah,
0: um, that's and
1: incre- that's key. Spending right time yeah. with with kids, having quality time with her, like doing a date night, cooking dinner together. Uh, you know, dropping kids off at daycare, picking them up early just to get them home. You know, my wife she is working, um, and so her hands are full too. It's 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 a lot, and we're with having a, a new child at home now. We're kind of navigating what the new norm is. Um, and so there's there's all kinds of challenges but i think for us like it's it it all kind of falls back on um i think we're on we're on the same page um like you know we talk a lot about what we want as as a married couple as a family and we're trying to move forward together um which you know thankfully for us it's been really easy like you know it's we i think we have the same goals and Um, we have a kind of a similar demeanor where we're able to kind of just roll with things. Um, even if they aren't perfect, we'll find a way to make it happen. Um, and we're incredibly patient. I think a lot of that kind of stems, you know, from, uh, our, our, our faith as well. Like, I think it's one of those things Like we've always been provided for. Um, and like God has always provided for us, um, with, you know, food on the table, a roof over her head. Like, why would he stop doing that right now for us? And so as yeah. we're kind of navigating what this, this world looks like right now with, with as a family with two kids now with how much I travel, it's really hard to, for other people to relate to. There aren't many people in our friend circle, you know, everybody, maybe everybody has a, a dual income family, but the husband's yeah, not traveling right. as often or, you yeah. know, the, the schedule changes as frequent, but so, yeah, so it's, It's tough, but we're finding a way to make it happen.
0: You just gave some great advice. And I hope everybody that's listening just made a mental note of what you said. It's not easy. It's actually pretty simple, but it's not easy. You have faith. And I don't mean that you go out and chase the next endeavor, because if I don't do it, I might not be able to eat because you've already said you're trusting God to put food on the table and a roof over your head. But what you really have that's beautiful, and I hope this is true for everybody, I don't have a perfect marriage, you don't have a perfect marriage, but you have an ongoing communication with your wife about what's best. Mm -hmm. And you're willing to say no to a project or two so that you can still have a family at the end of a career. And if you're willing to do that, you can navigate through the challenges of being away and still, you know, being close to your family. It's not easy relatively simple to figure out but it's just not easy to do yeah and Jake I like I said I've got mad respect for you behind the camera but I've got lots of respect for you as a husband and father so thank you man thank you for making episode 100 special and letting me relive a couple of those thrilling moments even (laughs) tasting for just a moment what it felt like to drive back out of those city streets in Mogadishu just doing it with you a few years later And thanks for being on this episode with me.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to catch up with you again.
0: Yeah. Man, Jake just gave some incredible advice to all of us. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what kind of family that you have. Work is going to take a little bit away from your family. And family is going to end up taking a little bit away from work. And if you want to do two things well, well, when you're at work, be fully present at work. And when you're at home, be fully present at home. That's how you handle the challenges of work and family at the same time. Thanks, Jake, for being guests on episode 100 of Unbeatable. Now, cue the drum roll. I have been talking for several weeks about this giveaway, and we selected one member of the Unbeatable Army to give an entire library of my personal books too, I just want to say congratulations, Raymond. You just won the big giveaway. Here it is. All of my books signed and coming to you. Raymond, you got to look at your email because we're going to send you an email asking you what address you want us to ship these books to. If your ears just perked up when I said Unbeatable Army, it's because we've got a group of people connected with us. They don't just watch or listen to this podcast. They stay connected all week long. They stay connected on social media and by just simply searching for at Unbeatable Podcast or they join the Unbeatable Army, this email list, and I send them content throughout the week just to keep them motivated, just to keep them encouraged so that they can be unbeatable when life is unmerciful. You want to be part of the Unbeatable Army? It's totally free. Just go over to unbeatablearmy.com and who knows, maybe you'll win some free stuff in the future. Thank you. We wouldn't be at episode 100 if it wasn't for amazing people tuned in and listening week after week. So thank you for making episode 100 possible. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you right back here next week for episode 101. See you next time you okay.